You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Without further ado, let's get into the Word of God this morning. Um, If you're here for the first time, as Audrey said, we're just so excited you're here, welcome you, and uh, we're just blessed to have you join us. And if you want to know more about the church, how to connect it to stuff midweek, how to serve, questions about the church, the connect table back there is your place to go. And there'll be um, some of our Ohana group leaders back there each week to kind of answer and field those, hopefully. But let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at 42 through 47. So we're uh, looking at the last few verses of chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And uh, the title of today's message is The Blueprints of the Church, Part 1, A Community That Learns. And a quick recap before we get uh, into our text so that we're all up to speed, specifically those that haven't been around. Uh, We are in Luke's narrative of the acts of the followers of Jesus. And we've got to see firsthand the Holy Spirit fall upon and fill believers for the first time. And this group of believers is a group of Jewish believers. They're filled up and they begin to testify of the wonders of God in all these different languages. At the time in Jerusalem, it was Passover. It was a celebration that many uh, made pilgrimage to from North Africa and uh, Asia and Europe and the Middle East And they had come to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit had empowered these believers to begin to praise and declare the wonders of God in all these different languages. And the crowds hear, and they're they're, um, amazed. And what happens is, is Peter, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he gets up and he preaches the gospel. Last week, we looked into the content and the context of that But what's happening is these large crowds of Jewish believers, these pious, devout Jews, they're listening. And these Jews, they had a belief in the God of the Old Testament, in the same God that they're worshiping. But what Peter did was he connected the dots of Old Testament prophecy with the person of Jesus Christ. Right, All that the Old Testament was doing, it was prophesying about the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come through the line of David. And the majority of Peter's sermon that we studied last week was Peter, a Jewish believer to a Jewish audience that were well-versed in Scripture, bringing up Old Testament Scripture that they all believed in, but connecting it to the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, I mean, blinders were shed off their eyes. Uh, people came to faith, and we see 3,000 people believe. So, so the church, this upper room, is 120 believers filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, uh, Peter's speaking. He preaches the gospel. 3,000 get saved. So the church grows from 120 to at least 3,120 in one day. As a pastor, that like stresses me out. Like logistically, like how do you even care for, how do you organize, how do you even manage that many people? 120 people is a lot to manage, let alone that type of growth. Um, 
But that's where our text comes in handy today, this morning, the end of chapter 2. And so let's read our text and pray, Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says this. They, speaking of all these new believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we are so incredibly thankful that we have your word, that for us in this room right now, that we have a guide, we have instructions, we have your heart for our lives, we have your commands, your teachings, your design for us, and we have an example. We have uh, those that have gone before us our brothers and sisters in Christ that came to faith, that also were doing church. And we have an example that we can glean from and learn from and apply and adapt to our own lives. So Holy Spirit, would you give us a fresh, maybe new, maybe maybe correct for the first time, understanding of what church is actually supposed to be about? So many of us maybe have a skewed idea or a a narrow, even-minded idea, but God, we want a biblical idea. God, show us what it means to be your church and help us, Holy Spirit, to live that out in our local context here at Reality. We don't want to be led by any person or people. We want to be led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you're the senior pastor. You're the chief shepherd. Lead us. Holy Spirit, teach us your word now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, when we talk about church, right, or when someone says, I go to church or come to church with me, what you mean by that can be really broad and maybe even vague. Like church can mean so many different things. Uh, The same would be true when someone says, let's go out to eat. You'd be like, even if you're not into food that much, you're not a foodie, if someone says, let's go out to eat, your your question would probably be like, eat what? What kind? And then you'd be like, once you figure that out, well, where? Where where are we going to eat that type of food? Because most likely, you care, like, what Thai food is better? Like, you care about that, or you you care about, if we're going to eat that kind of food, well, where are we going to go? Because there's differences. And maybe, though, it's out of convenience, right? It's not so much you care about the food, but you just care about where it is. Or maybe it's when it is. If someone asks, let's go out to eat, maybe it's when it is, and maybe, is it now, or is it a little bit? When do you want to eat? Well, most of us, when it comes to food, if we're honest, we care, We care what we eat, is it expensive, is it healthy, what kind is it, where is it, and when is it? If you're a foodie, 
you will wait or pay anything for good food. I'm not really a foodie, like I appreciate it, but some of you in here are like, no line is too long. There's no price. I won't pay for that thing. Blog the thing. You're like, you're awesome. I, I, I'm not you. I appreciate it, but that's not me. Um, even if it's a bad time for you, you'll change your life for it. Like, doesn't matter. Like, if we're eating that, everything will change. Uh, some, some of you are not. You, you don't care as much. You just really, is it, is it easy? Is it convenient? And most of all, is it cheap? That's all you care about. That's fine. I get you. I get you. I get you there. Um, but some people like me, like, I'm always hungry. I, I always say yes to you. I'm not super picky. Um, price or schedule is the thing that's going to, like, stop me. But I, when? Let's eat now. Like, if, you, if there's an option, where? Wherever you want. Like, let's go. It's more about the people than it is about the food. But at the end of the day, my point is there are so many options. Like, when you say, let's go out to eat, then you're like, well, there's the where. It's, what is it like? How do they do these things? And some of us have very strong opinions about food. Church is the same way. Church is the same way. Church is so different. Like, every church is really different, and the spectrum is huge. And some of us, we care about the content of a church. Some of us just care about the convenience. Is it close to me? Eh, I don't love it, but it's close. Or I really care about the content, and I will drive one family here from I to come here. God bless you. You're amazing. Care about the content more than convenience. Um, some of us don't care at all, but we all probably have opinions, right? Even those of us that wouldn't identify as Christians probably have an idea of church. It could even be a different religion, or maybe it's in the same neck of the woods, Christian or Catholic, but we have an idea of church. Maybe it's from our upbringing or a media or our own experience, but if you don't know, Churches do things really different, and a lot of times, that's okay. It's actually really good that we're all not the same, because people aren't the same. Like, it's really good that, like, that every church isn't the same. This is good, how they do things. But sometimes, it's not okay, right? Sometimes, where it can get sketchy is if we're just making church up, just, yeah, let's just do it that way, when... God actually gives us a really good idea of what he wanted it to be. Because, right, when we, when we just do church with our own assumptions or even on our own traditions or just people's opinions, if that determines what we make up church, we can get really off track really quick. There's no grounding. There's no foundation. There's no accountability. Like, the list goes on, and it happens all the time. And what also is even maybe even worse sometimes, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, is that we as Christians are the most critical, most judgmental, and most opinionated people when it comes to what we think the church should be. Well, let's be honest. Especially if we've been in church for a while. We're like, I know church. I know exactly what it's supposed to be. I did it this way once, and that's how it's supposed to be. Really, you think you have it all together. You're always the best way. Out of the whole world, you're always the best way. To every people and every culture at every time. Absolutely, it's not going to be, but that's okay if you believe that. We are so good, right, of having a lot of opinions of what church is and isn't. And um, we're, all, we're all part of the church, so it makes sense that we do that. But what I believe 
is so important. And what we desire to do as reality, and I believe every Christian church should do, is to look at Scripture, God's Word, and the early church, and use what they did as an example for us to follow. That would seem like bare minimum. That would seem like we all should do that, but I'm telling you right now, it does not happen. The grounding or the reason why people do things in churches, unfortunately, not, is not always grounded with Scripture. And so my heart and my desire is to, to do that exactly, to look at the Word of God and see what God's Word says church should be like. And so that's the plan, actually, for the next five weeks. We're spending five weeks in, like, five verses. Sorry, going slow. Uh, today and for the next five weeks leading up till Easter Sunday... We'll be looking at the scripture I just read, Acts 2, 42 through 47, and we're calling it the blueprints of the church. And what we'll be looking at are the core practices and the rhythms of the early church, what these believers empowered by the Holy Spirit did, how they did church. Um, and we're going to use it as a blueprint of sorts for us to glean from and to follow. We'll use it as a guide to go to inform the way we do things. And so the next five weeks, we'll look at the key practices that mark uh, the church in Acts 2. A little precursor before I tell you what the next five weeks are going to look like. This isn't like the ex exhausting list of everything the church can only do. There is so much that comes out of these things. I would say these are the core practices that any church should do. But again, missions and social justice and outreach and there's all kinds of other things that the churches should be, church should be involved in as well. But again, these are the core. And so what defines the early church? The description that we get in Acts 2 of what defined the early church that we can use as a blueprint are these things. A community that learns, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. A community that worships and prays, slash prays. A community that remembers, that takes communion and remembers the cross. A community that shares, right, that fellowships, that has, has community that sells their belongings and gives to those in need. And also a community that gathers, that meets in large gatherings and small gatherings, but if you're going to say, what is the church supposed to consist of? What are the core things? You can do more than these things, but what are the core things that a church should do? Looking at the book of Acts. It would be learn, worship, remember, share, and gather. We're going to look at that. And so today, we're going to look at a community that learns. And so first off, what is extremely important that we see is the church is to be a community, a family. We are to follow Christ and grow together as a community. That is God's design. God's design is for us all to be in relationship with one another as we grow in and cultivate our relationship with Jesus. It is not meant to be done alone. This is not a Lone Ranger Christianity that is nowhere in God's design. God's design is that it would get messy, that it would be harder because there's more fruit in it. God desired for us to be in community, in relationship with one another, and work on our relationships, and do it together, 
And yes, at times, that's a lot harder to do, and it's a lot easier just to, I'm just going to read my Bible. I'm done with church. I'm not going to do that anymore. That's not God's design. You, you are going to not get everything that God wants if you do that. That's why I, I purposely started out each of these practices with a community that. A community that learns, a community that shares, a community that worships, and so on. And the church, this is important, isn't a community that is gathering merely around an idea or a set of practices, but rather the church is a community that gathers around a person. That person is Jesus Christ. Like we gather and what we do, those practices, there's, there's one purpose in mind and we gather around the person of Jesus Christ. He's the focal point. He's the purpose. He's the main person we're to worship and exalt and put on a pedestal. It's not the pastor. And guys, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to go on a little side tangent. We love exalting men and women in the church. Give them respect. Give them honor. Like, do what the Bible says. But be careful that you do not make them your God. We, pastors, teachers, leaders in the church, elders, whatever you want to call us, we are vessels, we are servants. We're being used maybe in a different way than you, but we are people. Don't give us the praise. Give God the praise. I'm telling you too many times. I see it all the time. Either our own hearts get attached to a certain person or church exalts their senior leaders too much. I'm just telling you, it is a dangerous game. What is a church about? It's about Jesus, it's always been. We're all together in it. We're a community centered around Jesus. Amen? So if you're taking notes, I would say this. The church is to be a community of redeemed people gathered around Jesus. Jesus is to be the central focus, the motivation, and the reason that we meet. We don't meet to just meet. We don't meet because we should. We meet because we want Jesus. Why, why do you have a 10 a.m. service? Because we want to meet with Jesus. We want to worship him. We want to hear from him. That's why we do it. And what we see at the core of this community, the church, and it stems really from our identity as Christians, is that we are to be a learning community. Let me explain. When we repent of our sins, when we believe in Jesus Christ as our, our Savior and, and pledge to follow him, as followers, the Bible would describe us as disciples. The notion of disciples comes up first with the original group of 12 that we see in the Gospels, right? Peter and the others in the upper room, each of their stories of how they came to follow Jesus are in the Gospel accounts. These are the 12 disciples. We also see the concept of disciples with Jesus in the Great Commission, right? So just before he ascended to heaven, at the end of Matthew 28, he commissions the disciples with a task. He commissions followers of Jesus to go make more followers of Jesus, but he doesn't necessarily use the word follower, he uses the word disciple. Let's look at that. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. <clears throat> then the 11 disciples... 
Judas had just died, right? 11 now. Went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make what? Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always uh, to the very end of the age. Okay, so disciple may be a, a strange or a weird word for us. Like, I don't know how many of you use the word disciple this week in your life. Um, I don't think unless I was talking about the Bible, I didn't do that. It's not normal for us. It's a pretty Christian-y thing. This notion of disciple and discipleship. But to a Jew in the first century, remember that's when this is written. So it's important that we know our context and the potency of what's being said, right? To a Jew in the first century, this would have been a very familiar term. So a disciple was anyone who studied under a rabbi as a student. A disciple of a certain rabbi, rabbi being teacher, would learn from that rabbi the Torah, the law, Jewish practices, and a disciple was learning from them. They were studying them. And even a better idea of discipleship would be something that we, we, we are more familiar with. It's apprenticeship. We understand apprentice. We understand apprenticeship. Even some of you guys in the trades, you've had to apprentice under someone that knows really well what they're doing or been doing it for a long time. And so apprentice studies under and learns from someone that's done it before. So when a Jewish disciple, a.k.a. apprentice, was learning under their rabbi, the notion was that you were studying under that certain rabbi to take on their very way of doing things. In other words, rabbis, there was better ones, there was more popular ones, there was, things that, there was ones that did things differently. And depending on what rabbi you studied under, you would learn the interpretation of the law, certain things differently. But your goal as an apprentice was to learn exactly what your rabbi did and how he did it. Certain interpretations, word usage, even down to the rabbi's mannerisms. So much so, that so much so, excuse me, the goal of a disciple was for people to see and experience your life and ministry, and they could tell down to the exact rabbi you had studied under because of how well you had become like them. It, it wasn't just a mere set of ideas, it was attitudes, it was actions, it was ways of doing things down to the mannerisms. If you were a disciple under a rabbi, you were learning everything you could. You were soaking it up, you were striving to grow and learn and become like him. So a disciple of Jesus would do what? A disciple of Jesus would do what? A disciple of Jesus studies under, learns from, and becomes like Jesus, him or herself. To follow Jesus is to learn from Jesus and apprentice Jesus. A disciple is a learner. So who, who's a disciple? 
A disciple is any one of us who denounces our sin, asks for forgiveness, receives Jesus as their Lord, and is saved. So every one of us that claims this and is a Christian is a disciple. A disciple isn't some kind of elite Christian or special one, or you have to work your way up to be a disciple. The moment that you give your life to the Lord, you're a disciple, you're a learner, and you're studying under Rabbi Jesus. He's your teacher. He's your master. You're to emulate everything that he does. You are to apprentice Jesus. It's no coincidence that a core practice we see here in Acts is this idea that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. A core concept of the early church was learning and growing, was studying and learning and growing because they were all disciples. And they knew better than we know what it meant to be a disciple under a rabbi. It was learning was a huge part of the growth process. And you have to remember, they had just heard the gospel truth that Peter just spoke of. This is the the core doctrine of their faith. But the apostles' teaching, what that is, was it was Peter and the others, were now expanding upon what the implications of the truth of Jesus being the Son of God meant for them in every aspect of their life. So Peter says, you're saved now. Cool. Let me tell you what that means for you now. These are the apostles' teaching and the disciples, which is now 3,120. They are sitting under the teachings of the the apostles to learn more about what it means to follow this Jesus now. Remember, they don't have the New Testament like we do. It is currently being written. Uh, The next few decades from here will continue to be written. But they're learning. The New Testament's being written. We have it now. But they're, so they're learning what it means to follow Jesus by teaching, but they're also learning what it means to follow Jesus in several other ways. It's actually everything that they're doing here is forming them into the image of Christ. Worshiping and praying, being in community, sharing needs, taking communion, remembering the cross. This is important. Apprenticeship. To Jesus is holistic, it's multifaceted, and it's not confined to one method of learning. This is really important because I think so many times we think church is about two hours on Sunday. We learn the Bible, we receive the knowledge of the Bible, and that's it. We sit, we learn, we receive, we read, we're done. That is not apprenticeship. That's not discipleship. That is not what it means to follow Jesus. Apprenticeship to Jesus is holistic. It's multifaceted. It's not confined to one method of learning. All of the practices of the early church were actually a part of their discipleship process. Here's where I believe the institutionalized church, me included, have possibly confused this. Or maybe had a too, too narrow of a vision. Right? When we say to someone, or maybe it's been said to you, are you being discipled? 
if you, if you, from the, this might be foreign to you, but if you're in the church, this is a thing. Or are you in a discipleship relationship? So right now, what we've done is we've taken discipleship, this broad, multifaceted thing, and we've narrowed it down to only a one-on-one or a meet with an older person, more mature, or we've structured it, or we've even said discipleship can only be organized by the church. Right now, we didn't mean to. We really didn't mean to. But we, and, and all that stuff's not bad. Like, you should have a mentor and meet with someone and one-on-one. Like, that is great and wonderful. But it's not complete. See, discipleship to Jesus involves all these things listed here. Right now, we're being discipled. Like, right now, you're hearing the word of God. You're studying God's word. You're learning what it means to be the people of God. Right? When we have our prayer and worship nights, and we learn how to pray, and we engage in worship, that's discipleship. When we read our Bible and we learn who God is and how that changes us in your morning, you know, personal times, when you listen to that podcast or that Bible study, that's discipleship. When we have Ohana groups, our midweek groups doing life together, when we learn how to do life in relationship and share needs and we grow in generosity and forgiveness and extend grace, that's discipleship. My, my hope, my, one of my hopes today is to, to pop that bubble that I'm not being discipled because I'm not in a one-on-one mentoring ship. That's not even biblical. Again, it's not bad, but what we've done is we've just tried to do something. But I'm, I'm hoping to do is kind of pull back the layers and say we're all disciples and God is using a lot of different ways to grow us into his image and it's all, they're all good. See, even the disciples, if you know, as they walked with Jesus, how did they learn Jesus didn't just do seminary all day long. That's, that's literally not what he did. There was moments where he used opportunities to teach them biblical concepts. There was equipping theologically that was happening. But the majority of the three years that their rabbi was with them, how did they become disciples? How did they learn? It was by doing, it was by seeing, it was by hands-on experience, it was by walking on water and feeling and Jesus talking about it, it was seeing the gospel go forth. They were immersed in it. They were were learning by teaching, by seeing, by interacting, by doing. That is why Christianity isn't just a set of ideas and certain practices that we add to our lives. See, Christianity is a life apprenticeship. It isn't just a religious apprenticeship that's reserved for Sundays and the occasional Bible study, but rather following Jesus starts first with an interchange, like an inner heart change, that then leads to a change of habits and a change of rhythms and priorities and our actions and our speech. You, You get the idea. Following Jesus isn't just about adding church, which I, it's hard to even say church because when we think church, we think 10 a.m. service. And church is not, that is part of the whole holistic picture of the rest of our lives and the rest of our days and the rest of our hours. Now we apprentice King Jesus. We don't just do it at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Right? Once we believe in the gospel 
it then becomes a lifetime of learning under our rabbi as to the radical implications of what this truth means for our life. Like once we believe, that's the start. That's essential. Jesus died. He rose again. He forgave my sins. I believe who he said he was. Good. That's just the beginning of a lifetime of learning. Uh, I remember I, I did youth ministry for a long time, and high school boys, God bless all your parents with high school boys, hard, hard. Girls, obviously the same, but different, different, different. Boys, when I was doing youth ministry, always like, would want to try to get away with the most, right? Get out of stuff, do the bare minimum, especially when it came to like Christianity in their lives, especially when it came to their relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend stuff. Hey, Riz, um, what really is the difference, this is a question I got asked, what really is the difference between a godly versus a non-godly relationship? I know why they're asking, because they're saying, well, it's not really different, right? I can kind of do whatever I want. Like, I don't have to like do something different. And what I said to this guy, I said, I said, actually, everything's different. Not a single thing is the same. And he's like, are you kidding? What are you saying? And I began to explain. I said, well, well, when you're Christian or when you desire to do it in a godly, God-honoring way, your intentions, your goals, the way you speak to the other person, treat them, respect them, it's through a different lens. You think entirely different about everything you do and why you're doing it and what the purpose is. That's exactly the way it is when you follow Jesus. Everything is supposed to look, be looked through with a different lens now. It's like some of these videos you see of um, these kids that were born colorblind, and they haven't seen color forever, and then there's these corrective glasses they get for the very first time, and they get these glasses put on, and what happens to every single thing in life now? It's new, it's fresh, it's different. It's like they've never seen it before. It's because they're looking through a different lens. When we're saved, that's what happens. We, we, we look through the world and other people through a different lens and a different worldview. That's why at the core of who we are, we're a learning community because it's going to take a lifetime to learn the glorious and radical implications for the gospel for our lives because it changes everything. Right, when we become saved, we become disciples. But then what happens is, is it changes the way we look at our relationships, our priorities, our time, our money, our aspirations, our life goals, our careers. We're, because we're not living for ourselves anymore. It's a big change when you get saved. Our life is no longer our own. We now follow King Jesus. So, Lord, what would you have for me? How do you want me to treat that person? As a disciple, as a learner, if I'm to emulate how you treated people, how should I do that relationship? How should I treat my employees? How should I pick that job? How should I decide how to spend my money and my time and do with my life? Everything comes under that, and we have to look through the lens of, well, now we're a follower of Jesus, and so... We're in a lifetime of learning what that all means.
doesn't mean that we have to know it right away. That's, it's a process. It's an apprenticeship with our God. So if I was going to boil it down, if you're going to take one thing home, what is the church? One part is uh, the church is a learning community devoted to a lifelong apprenticeship to Jesus. That's what the church is supposed to be about. We're supposed to be a community that's following Jesus. And we apprentice our rabbi, and that's King Jesus. Church seems pretty simple, doesn't it? We complicate it. We're so good. I don't know if you know, but we're so good at making simple things really difficult. Church is actually not supposed to be so complicated. It's supposed to be simple and profound and powerful, but at the core of it, we gather to meet around Jesus. And so my hope for today as a way of application was, my hope is that you would, I hope you know what a disciple is now, what a disciple does. And if this is you, if you are a disciple alongside me and many of us here, Know that you are in a relationship to receive and jump in and follow Jesus. Like we're meant to engage in and participate as a learner inside this community. So I want to exhort all of us to strive to grow. Like the dangerous part is if you, if you say, I'm good I've been a Christian for so long, so I don't need this. You're like, you need it the most. (laughs) Or if you feel like you're not growing right now, I would say two things. One is maybe you're thinking growth only comes in one form of learning. No, it doesn't. If you feel like you're not growing, I would take it upon yourself to come to Jesus, maybe assess your life and, and put yourself maybe more in apprentice type roles. Because think about it, if I'm an apprentice, and I'm supposed to learn a trade, and I feel, for whatever reason, this apprenticeship, I'm not growing a lot. I can either sit there and say, I'm not growing a lot. Or I can say, how can I, on my own initiative, learn more? How can I go get this information? How can I become more like it? How can I just grab at it? So that's what I would say to that. My hope is that we would do this together. And so church, as we go into a time of worship right now, let's set ourselves at the feet of Jesus, at the center, and receive all that he has for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are God and we are not. Like, you're in control. This is your gig. This is your church. And we just take great comfort in that, God, that you desire to meet with us. Like, you desire to teach us and form us and make us like you. At the core of our design, we were created in the image of God. And what discipleship does is it brings us back into that design. We learn what it means to be followers of our Savior. And so, God, you you know where we're at. Some of us are weak in some areas. Some of us are strong. Some of us learn differently. I pray that you would help us to grow in the areas that we need to. And God, you you, you know what those are. 
Maybe some of us, we know the Bible really well, but we really need to grow in generosity or forgiveness or extending grace to the person that's wronged us. And maybe for some of us, we're, we're wired that we're naturally really generous and really forgiving, but we don't really know why we're doing it. We don't have grounding. Would you teach us from your word who you are and what this means? Thank you that you know our ways intimately and you are able to meet us where we're at. And so Holy Spirit, as your kids, as your sons and daughters, as your family and as your disciples, God, lead us, speak to us, meet us now. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.